0: Welcome back to On the Lighter Side of Baseball. We are in Oakbrook, Illinois. A dreary day. Dreary for a couple reasons. Dreary because of the weather. It's been raining, snowing, sleeting. Anything but opening day for the White Sox and the Cubs. And speaking of opening day for the White Sox and the Cubs, we could be months away from opening day. Now, over the weekend... I produced a 39-minute summary of where the talks were between Major League Baseball and the Players Association before this week. Now, remember, this week is the week where they are going to, I don't know why this is so extraordinary, they're going to sit down every day. Now, why haven't they been sitting down every day before? I don't know. They say about deadlines, you have to have a deadline. Well, whatever. Anyway, so I'm going to do a little opening. Then I'm going to play, since there hasn't been a settlement, and the reports are the gap is still wide, I'm going to play my rather, oh, I don't know, realistic, pragmatic, state-of-the-art discussion about how stupid these sides are. And in the meantime, I would refer you to Google Rich Gossage, the Hall of Fame relief pitcher who made his money with the New York Yankees and before that the Chicago White Sox. Goose went off. He couldn't have said it better. He decided that he would never go back to the Hall of Fame because he might deck Mighty Manfred the Wonder Dog. I mean, this guy, the whole thing, the owners run Mighty Manfred, Mighty Manfred, you know, wants to make money. They don't think they're that committed to this deal. So I know that's negative. I know it's really negative. But I got to tell you, I'm not optimistic. Now, we're going to do a podcast on Thursday with Craig Kashan, And maybe by then, the news will be a little bit better. But this is talk about Groundhog Day. Talk about deja vu. It's the same thing over and over again. The owners are posturing so that they think, oh, man, we went the extra mile for you guys. And what have you guys done? Spit in our face. That Friday afternoon, I think that's where we're going to be. Monday, they're going to announce that the uh, Major League Baseball season won't open because the players won't agree to their deal. And then the players will say that the deal is ridiculous because they could play, but the owners locked them out. Da-da-da-da-da. they're they're about $80 million apart on the arbitration pool, which is, you know, I don't know. I I think, unfortunately, Scott Boris is in command and um, he's taken a position of how he negotiates contracts and you know what, he makes his clients a lot of money. So the problem with this is the owners think that the players will give in before the owners will. It's the same thing, every work stoppage. And, uh, you know, Reed Goose, like I said, he was involved in all eight work stoppages prior to this one. And uh, he has developed a major disliking for management because it's the same deal. They don't care. They're going to get paid. They're going to get their money. There's going to be a deal. And so I'm going to stop talking about how The negotiations are going. I'm going to input my weekend summary of the problems with the uh, discussions on the collective bargaining agreement. And so I'm going to kind of summarize where we were at the beginning of this season. We were nowhere. We didn't have a deal. We don't have a deal now. So, January 1, no deal. February 1, no deal. February 2nd, Groundhog Day, no deal. Today is February 22nd. It's a perfect day to settle this thing. It's a Tuesday. Yeah. And it's 2 22 22. Tuesday. Get it? February 22nd. And for you historians out there, and you know, you shouldn't really need to be a historian to know what significance February 22nd is. I cannot tell a lie. It's the birthday of the father of our country, George Washington. And uh, who better to celebrate a birthday than when uh, um, the second coming of Adolf Hitler is invading Ukraine. I mean, here uh, the governments of the world are engaged in trying to stop this Maniac from trying to start World War III. And these bozos in now they're in Florida are, are pissing and moaning over uh, this stupid contract. Now, come on. I've settled thousands of lawsuits. We, as a group, individually, we could go down and settle this thing tomorrow. It, <laughs> owners have the money. They just don't. Like the players winning, and they feel like they've been very generous. So, uh, man, we're heading down to no baseball in April, I'm afraid. Now, I, boy, there wouldn't be anybody happier because I'm getting pretty tired of of watching me TV. Now, I just discovered me TV uh, yesterday. Me TV, and I'm I'm not talking like I haven't been the my. A fourth grade English class, <laughs> Me TV, Me Baseball Glove, Me Game, Me The No, Me TV has like reruns of um, everything Hogan's Heroes and Richie Cunningham, uh, all that good stuff. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Hogan's Heroes, MASH, uh, Richie. I was waiting for Laverne and Shirley. They've got uh, all sorts of stuff. I said mash, I'm having a you know, slight memory problem, I guess. Anyway, MeTV is kind of tiring. I want to watch baseball. Now, so that's it. And, uh, you know, we're still on Spotify, good or bad. We're on SoundCloud, good or bad. We're on Apple, iTunes, good or bad. I like think we're on Google, we're on, we're on things that I don't even know about. And so it's exciting, but I mean, look, I can only talk about the strike so long. And who uh, isn't tired of this? Everybody's like going, hey, wait, these these billionaires versus millionaires? It's goofy. So it is Black History Month, and I promised everybody at the end of that segment that I'm about to put in and play now that we would talk about the uh, Black History Month and how that uh, affected the Major League Baseball. So. I'm going to take a break. Uh, uh, We'll go from there. Well, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And there really isn't much on the lighter side of baseball to talk about. So we'll talk about what's to talk about. And that is the activities that are going on between the Major League Players Association and Major League Baseball, which is basically historically a rerun of what we've seen uh, over the past, oh, I don't know, five or six work stoppages between the MLPA PA and Major League Baseball. But uh, we're supposed to be talking about pitchers and catchers reporting. We're supposed to be talking about spring training games that are on the schedule. And instead, Uh, we are right back in the same situation where Major League Baseball puts out a press release saying it's forced to cancel the games because they don't have an agreement, and the Players Association puts out a press release saying, yeah, those guys are a bunch of liars. They don't have to cancel games. We could go play under the old agreement and just keep playing. Well, I haven't heard that be proposed by the Players Association other than in their press release. So – we are deep into our fourth season on the lighter side of baseball. We had Dwayne Stats on last time. We have uh, taken a little break. We're back from our trip down to California and Arizona where we had uh, hoped to take in a little spring training. But mm-hmm. gates are locked. The only spring training now going on apparently is the complexes have welcomed minor league players that are not on the 40-man roster. So, you know, if you're crummy enough to not make the 40-man roster, then we have spring training going on. I guess they'll play. Uh, I guess they'll play games against each other. Uh, maybe they'll play games against the college. But, you know, I think this week on the Logos side of Baseball, um, you know, subsequent episodes, we're going to have Craig Kishon back I hope to get John Watson back. And then I'm going to try to get a hold of Jason Grimsley. Uh, Jason has been a guest of the show before, and he was the play representative with at least the Kansas City Royals. So he's got a little insight on what's going on in these labor negotiations. And it's deja vu, man. I mean, it, it really is. So I have rarely prepared any monologue for my show on Spotify, et cetera. But let me just go through this. And some of you can react in emails, and some of you can call me, um, or you can just absorb all this. But when we should be watching games, um, we're not. And so, what are we waiting? Wait, what's going on? Basically, uh, the owners would like to start the season in September and just have the playoffs. They'd be happy with that. Each each of the owners would save hundreds of millions of dollars, and the players. Uh, you know what? It's it's hard to it's hard to take. The position of the players. I mean, it really is. You can talk about the areas that they address. They want arbitration to start after the second year, and they want the salary cap, which is called a luxury tax, to be very high and penalties for going over very low. And if you you don't have to (laughs) read, read between the lines that What all this is about is money. Players want more, and the owners want more, and the owners don't want to give the players more, and the players don't want to let the owners make as much money as they make. It's as as simple as that. Now, back in the 50s, before there was a Players Association, the owners took 100% of the risk, and if they drew a million people, that was a big deal. And they didn't have licensing money, and they barely had, you know, any people in the stands. And they played doubleheaders. They had Ladies' Day. They had double doubleheaders. They did everything and anything. And who did you get to see? You got to see real baseball players. In the fifties, you got to see the likes of Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio in the early days, Roberto Clemente, Ernie Banks. Satchel uh, Page in the early 50s. I mean, you get to see the best ballplayers ever. Yes, better than Mike Trout, better than Tatis, better than all these other bozos. Now, as they go into the 60s, along comes Marvin Miller because the players are saying, hey, look, you know, we ought to be getting a bigger minimum than $5,000 a year. And I think most people agreed with them. And in the 60s, there were a number of labor unions that enjoyed growth and prosperity and strength. Jimmy Hoffa, the Teamsters, da 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 da. da. Well, Marvin Miller comes along, and he was a former uh, chief labor negotiator for the uh, Steelworkers of America. And uh, baseball hired him, and that was a good hire. And he went up against the likes of Bowie Kuhn. Bert Gimatti, some of these other guys, and and really began eroding the plantation kind of mental attitude that existed in the 60s. And then in the 70s, they got into free agency, and then they got into the 80s, and they got into arbitration. And then they tweaked it with a couple of work stoppages, the last of which was in 1995. So... you have a little bit of history and oh doesn't it sound familiar the only thing now is that there's so much money involved that it's hard for anybody that's not in one of those two groups which is most of us by all of us we're not players we're not owners we're fans and we think Rather than squabble about money, you got to squabble about how do we get back to a two-hour game. So the, uh, the only question remains, and this is the only question, when will this lunacy end? For years, we have not had a stoppage. Why? Well, because the players were getting a lot of money to play a game six months out of the year. Okay. Pretty good deal. And even the minimum salary of around $550,000, that's great. Those guys weren't complaining. No, it's the Scherzers of the world and Boris's big-time clients that are complaining. Because in reality, they say they want to help the younger guys make more money. That's a baloney. They just want to make as much of the money as they can. And if they have to strike, which is what they did. They, they say, oh, this is a lockout, not a strike. Well, the reason it's both is because they couldn't over the last few years come to an agreement as they had done previously in the last 20 years to avoid work stoppages and agree on collective bargaining agreements. Well, that isn't the case this year because you know it takes two to tango folks you can they can blame each other all they want but it takes two to tango the players want more money and the owners feel like you know we've given them a lot of money so the players not only make money they get endorsement deals they get licensing money when there's not a strike do y'all understand that when when the players association smells a strike, which they smell better than anybody. They probably smelled this common five years ago. They start taking chunks of the licensing money out of the pockets of these poor young players that Scherzer and Arenado wanna protect. I guarantee you that the licensing money, let's just say it's a hundred grand. The players' association takes 50 grand from everybody. They don't care if you are uh, Kyle Schwarber or if you're Chris Bryan. They're going to take the same amount of money. They don't prorate it. They unilaterally take it for their strike fund. And so, you might get a little licensing money, but most of it goes into this strike fund that they build up, so they can have these strikes and pay their experts and pay their lawyers, okay? it's as as simple as that. That's how they fund it. And sometimes the owners take out strike insurance. I don't know if they did this year or last year, but they have in the past. And so the players were pretty content. They're all making a lot of money. They're all making their licensing money and they're all getting endorsement deals and they're all getting paid if they wanna go sign at an autograph show. Idiots like me would go pay them two, three, four hundred dollars. This show coming up in Chicago in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Mariano Rivera is going to make four hundred bucks every time he signs his name. David Ortiz three hundred and fifty bucks every time he signs his name. So I mean, if they really want to make money, and you know, Tatis, Machado, Brian. These guys don't go to the shows now because they're making too much money. It's just a tax problem. The old guys, and the old guys in the Hall of Fame make a lot of money. And then you get down to the other guys who kind of come in, and, and any gravy is good gravy, and they may charge $30 for an autograph, but if they do 100 you know, that's pretty good. So the players... And the owners, for a long time, since 1995, didn't want to kill the Golden Goose, that makes sense. But then COVID hit, 2020, COVID hit. And the split between the owners and the players got political and it got ugly. And so there was a stoppage and everybody agreed because nobody really knew what COVID was or how long it would be around or how lethal it could be. And so first the NBA goes out then the NCAA goes out then Major League Baseball goes out and they all don't come back for various lengths of time. And with team sports, the only way they could come back is if the Players Association agreed with the owners on how the return was going to be handled with respect to spring training with respect to COVID protocol, with respect to no fans in the stands, and with respect to the playoffs. And they changed some of the rules. The doubleheader was only seven games. They'd start a guy at second base the next training, all designed to save wear and tear on um, mostly the pitchers. So they argued about protocol. I mean, it's stupid argument. If you think the arguments now are dumb, go back to 2020. Those arguments were incredibly stupid. I mean, ridiculously stupid. While people were dying of COVID, and yes, people did die of COVID, they were arguing about, you know, how many times they had to wash and how many times they had to test and how many autographs they could sign and what they do with the pens after they sign the autographs and on and on and on and on and on, all designed to get them back so that the owners could get some cash from the turnstiles and concession stands and the players put a little money in their pocket. While we all tried to figure out whether this was like the flu or the bubonic plague, Major League Baseball and the Players Association had a rift that was not only existing for the last forever, but getting bigger and bigger. And it was magnified during the negotiations for, COVID and a return, and the number of playoffs, and blah, 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 blah. And when it was finally resolved, Scott Boris gets up and says, This was a sellout, and just lambasted the director of the Players Association. And therein began the strike, the lockout that we have today began in May of 2020. When they agreed on coming back to play baseball during the pandemic. So the owners sensed that the players would finally give up because their bank accounts were dwindling. And so the players made a deal and they blinked. Like I said, Boris criticized the union. And that set the stage for where we are today. The one constant between starting the 2020 season and the agreement expiring, uh, basically was that the inactivity still exists. Three meetings in three months, what a joke. Players negotiating backwards now, and that's just exactly what the owners wanted you know for example they went three months and they might have met a couple times then they decide well we've got you know we need to save face so the owners make a proposal and the players say oh this is terrible and the the, uh, uh, players make a counter proposal and then the owners go oh this is terrible and then the players you know, get a new proposal from the owners and they go, this is even worse. And then they go the other way. You know, it's like, all, I don't know what, what they're, they're trying, they're going back to what they know. Um, basically the owners go, this is my game, my dime, my rules. And if we could have the reserve clause that bound you to the team forever, we'd like that. Well, the curve floods of the world, Marvin Miller, Don Fear did away with the reserve clause, thank God, and the 13th amendment was finally applied to baseball. Involuntary servitude for those of you who are wondering anything beyond the second amendment. (laughs) Just kidding. Anyway, so um, you've got the uh, same dispute. The owners think the players are, are gonna blink they think that the younger guys are gonna blink. So they have three meetings in three months. They exchange, they, have a, they step it up and spring training comes up and pitchers and catchers were supposed to report didn't happen, they each blame the other side. Now next week, when this podcast drops, they're gonna meet every day, isn't that big? I mean, why didn't they meet every day in, in November? Why didn't they meet every day in October? Why didn't they meet every day in September? Because they seem to think the only way anything gets done is a deadline that means something. Now that deadline can mean different things at different times. Obviously the deadline of starting spring training didn't mean a thing. Now they wanna believe, and they want every one of us to believe that next week they need to get a deal done in order to not have any part of the season get canceled, March thirty first, first game. If we don't start spring training by you know the first of March, then we're going to have to you know set back the start of the season. And you know, Giamatti, who's G- I don't mean Giamatti, excuse me, mighty man, the Wonder Dog. God, he just says stupid things every time, every year. And the stupid thing is, is it would be disastrous to our game if we missed any regular season games. Disastrous. What's going to happen? They're going to meet next week every day. And the, the, here's my prediction. The divide will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they will be no closer today uh, than they will be on next Friday, February 25th or whatever the date is. So Monday, the February the twenty eighth comes along, and they ain't gonna they ain't gonna cut a deal because the chemistry isn't right in the union. And it's just like I don't know. I mean, like I said, we've seen this movie before. The players started this last week negotiating backwards, and by that I mean they made a proposal the owner's counter and the players went the other way. I mean, this used to happen rarely, but it did happen in my legal career where you're negotiating a settlement and you're heading towards that point where you think the other side will take the deal and you'll be done with it. And lo and behold, they go the other way. So we'll pay you $10 million, no, we want 50. Okay, we'll pay you 20, no, we want 60. So that's what the players have done. They've gone backwards. And that delights the owners because they can rear up and say, the heck with you guys. So here's what all of this is kind of funny. What we have, ironically, is what the players have sanctioned and blessed and encouraged, and that is collusion. This is sanctioned collusion. Several years ago, it's probably been a decade. They sued over the owners colluding on keeping prices down of salaries. You can't talk to the other guys into, we'll never pay anybody over a million dollars. So what you have now is organized sanctioned collusion and the players if they're going to get what they want. So, you know, what's going to make Scott Boris happy is the question. And when do the 60% of the baseball union that makes under a million dollars start to say, hey, boys, you know, I'm not Verlander. I'm not Arenado, I'm not Chris Bryant. I'm not Tatis. I don't have millions of dollars to live off of. Now, I don't have that many years to play, and that's exactly what the owners are counting on. They know that there are certain things that will always lead to a to a settlement. One is number one, they don't all the players don't make the money that the Scherzers of the world make. Number two, the clock is running, and so is the time they have in their career. There's only a limited number of years these guys have to play baseball. Some might play, some might be dying to get on the roster for the first time. Others might have a couple years. Some might have five. The the majority of these guys don't last five years. The majority of these guys don't have a savings account. I mean, they really don't. And so they're going to start needing more money than the union is sending them every month to keep them happy and get their vote as to the work stoppage the strike money is running out they want their licensing money and they want the fans to come back and so the cracks start between the majority of the players and scott boris and his guys scherzer verlander aaron adams Guys getting the big money. all because of some ridiculous belief that they ain't getting their fair share. Hmm, you know, so what's their fair share? You know, be like Phil Mickelson. Why don't you guys go out and start your own league? You know, that's what worked well in the past. Spalding tried it back in the 1800s, doesn't work. And, you know, the press is criticizing Major League Baseball because Oh, uh, you're just falling by the wayside between the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL. That's baloney. You know they don't, and, and the owners don't care about that either. So, where are we? And um, well, number one, we've all lost out on going to Florida, going to Arizona so far, and all the people that spent money to go to those games during the first week are SOL. After the last strike, the fans stayed away. They'll do it again now. People are, you know, number one, the product's boring. I hate to tell you this as a tremendous supporter of two teams through season tickets, the Cubs and the Royals. It's, the product stinks. I mean, it's, it just stinks. In fact, if someone were to ask me what's the best way to go see a baseball game, I'd say, well, number one, spring training, of course, there isn't any right now, go sit out in the grass, have a beer, watch three innings. And uh, you know, go in the middle of the game so you see some of the new kids. That number one. Number two for a major league game that starts at one, go at two. You know, the odds are you're not gonna miss anything. And uh, that you'll that'll leave about two, two and a half hours of baseball. Perfect. You can have a beer, you can have a hot dog, you can watch the end of the game. That's great. By your seat, don't show up till the end of the third inning. Bam. So again, I'm kind of detouring off, but the last strike in 1995, fans were irate. People were not gonna go back to watch a game. People said, I won't give them one nickel of my money. And a lot of them men, and still to this day, feel that way. Now, after the 95 strike and attendance took a dive peds started to surface i don't have my editor with me so you had to hear me sneeze for that i apologize at least you know it's live broadcast anyway the Peds were running rampant and along comes sammy sosa who's never been proven to have used PEDs, except in a congressional investigation. And Mark McGuire, who said, I have some liquid that I rub on my arm, but I think it's okay. Well, it turned out not to be. Anyway, those two save baseball. They get into a home run hitting contest in 1997. They break Roger Marison. They both break Roger Maris's record and Babe Ruth's record and McGuire noses out Sammy Sosa, but the fans returned. They loved it, I loved it. Went, took pictures of Sosa's 58, 59, and 60th home run. It was cool. Maybe even got a 61, 61st, breaking the Bambino. That was fun. Now, baseball's turned on the, at least on Sosa. McGuire gets to coach here and there. It's awesome, man, he is persona non grata. Um, yeah, he smashed the boombox of. No, it was Kerry Wood smashed Sammy's boombox. You know, these guys did some weird things. S- same with Moises Allu, but I don't know. Let's not go back to the 19th, 2000s. When was that? Um, 2003. Oh, Bartman. <laughs> anyway. The uh, strike's going to go on. Saying it's so, Joe. Gambling is. I mean, it's crazy what's what's happened. Marijuana, gambling, prostitution will be around the corner. All sanctioned by baseball. Not prostitution yet. Yeah. And so, where are we? The two sides. The last ditch effort, which I predict. We'll broaden the gap, hope I'm wrong. I look forward to paying both sides when I go back to that ballpark and drop 200 bucks for a seat. I'm gonna take three friends, that's 800 bucks to get a good seat and buy a $20 beer. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, but I'm sure I'll be right there with everybody else. And the concession stand, the players, everybody gets their money and we go on. Now, will that be in April? I don't think so. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. And we'll know, we'll know very soon. Uh, if if I am wrong, baseball might start April 1st, it might start April 10th, but I mean, they'll play 154 games like some people have wanted. And eight games will fall by the way soon. If I'm right, And they don't settle it this week. It'll go to the All-Star break or near the All-Star break. And who's running the show? The union, Scott Boras, Max Scherzer. I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I don't have any inside knowledge. I know that the big city owners are mad that they subsidize the small cities. And, uh, And so, you know, it's not just the owners versus the union. It's the uh, union versus the owners, but it's also the owners versus the owners, the small market guys versus the big market guys. And you gotta have three fourths of the group agree before anything gets done. So without doing too much math, too much calculation, 25% of 30 uh, is right in there at about uh, 7.5 owners. So if uh, seven owners don't agree, or eight actually, uh, two in Chicago, two in New York, two in L.A., one other one here, one other one there. Nothing gets done. So, boy, was that uplifting or not? I don't know. I got to tell you, it's um, it's it's just really really hard to not blame both sides. It's really, really aggravating that they have taken so long to get nowhere. And it will continue to be aggravating until they get a deal. And you can bet your bottom dollar that that deal will not benefit the fans. They're not even talking about shortening the game. They're not even talking about uh, limiting the um, pitch count. Limiting the strike zone, limiting the time it takes for a pitcher to get the ball and throw the ball. They're not talking about any type of a basement for uh, salaries. The main, the, you know, the the two real points are arbitration. Players want two years. They already stole three. They're not going to get anywhere with that. And the uh, other thing is this luxury tax. Now, you can talk about number of playoff games and all this other stuff they can agree on everything else in about two and a half minutes but the owners will never give on the two-year arbitration and they will never agree to raise the luxury tax limit and threshold and penalties like the players want. so it's just a question of when the players get tired and give in and until then we can have baseball so I'll get Craig Kushan's view. I'm gonna try to get Grimsley's view. I'll try to get uh, John Watson's view because all these guys want nothing but what the fans want. It's all we want, to get back to baseball. And when will that happen? I don't think it's gonna happen for a while, but man, I hope I'm wrong. Cause I mean, you can only watch pro golf so long. You can only, I don't know what else I watch. I'm gonna watch, soccer. Um, I think there's gonna be spring football. I mean, the NFL's really not a great product either. It is um, It is what it is. There's a popular phrase these days. It is what it is and what is it? It's just entertainment. It's where are you gonna spend your money? It's like, why get, why have a podcast? Good question. It's like um, I have a podcast because I enjoy it. And the second part of this podcast, we you know, we've been kind of going on on some of the more frustrating parts of the last three months since the Braves won the World Series. Remember that? Anybody remember that? If I hadn't said that, could you have named the winner of the 2021 World Series? I think not season that started with like 3,000 people in the stands and then 10% and 50%. You know, it's kind of nice. I sort of enjoyed Wrigley with myself and 2,500 other friends. Um, That's kind of nice. Social distancing. Vendors that would come to your seat because you didn't want to get up and go. That was good. The uh, second segment today, I'm gonna talk a little bit about something more fun to me. And that is, in honor of Black History Month, I'm gonna talk about some of the folks who played in the Negro Leagues that didn't get the kind of exposure that Jackie Robinson has gotten. And all I have to do is look at my set of 1953 tops, which I love, and pull out five or six or seven or eight guys, That played in the Negro Leagues that didn't get a lot of publicity, starting with Larry Doby and hitting with, I mean, and there are are a lot of guys. So Larry Doby is the world. Some of the guys I'm going to name and talk a little bit about later are famous stars, Hall of Famers, but they didn't get the credit they deserve for contributing to breaking the so-called color barrier really Jackie Robinson gets 98% along with Branch Rickey and then Larry Doby gets 1% and then you go down the the line. Um, You go down the Roy Campanellas, you go down the Don Newcombs, you go down the Ernie Banks, Hank Aaron, all these guys, Hall of Fame guys, for the most part that we'll talk about. But um, for example, the favorite card set, nineteen fifty-three tops. I'm going to pull out. There, maybe thirty cards, beginning with number two. Jackie Robinson actually is numbered number one. Uh, the first African-American I come to was a guy named Luke Easter. We're gonna talk about Luke, George Crow. So in the Tops 53 set, they broke the color barrier. Way to go Cyberger, who founded Tops. Number one, number two, and number three were African-Americans. Then let's see, you go by a number of other guys. In number six, you get Sam Jones, Sad Sam Jones. And uh, if you look at his 53 car, Sam, I, I can see where he gets his name. He looks pretty sad. Um, then you get a number of guys that, that appear to be um, Caucasian. And I'm just filtering through. Uh, and you get to Hank Thompson. I've Never heard of Hank Thompson. We're gonna talk about Hank. I mean, see, this is kind of cool. It's one great set of this, 1953. Um, Satchel Page is in here. Um, and, you know, about maybe 10% are African-Americans, but we're gonna talk about some of these guys. Um, it's a great set. It is my favorite set. And now that I've messed that up, I mean, who, who's heard of Luke Easter? Raise your hand if you've heard of Luke Easter. Big Luke was his nickname. Yeah, they all had cool names, too. they in one of these guys that didn't have a cool nickname. Uh, George Crow, his nickname was Big Crow. No, Big George. Uh, I think we're holding L.A. Billy. It's funny. Anyway, now that I've mixed up these cards, we'll be back. Yeah, it may not be the most exciting segment in the world, but um, it'll be interesting. I'll try to make it interesting. Roy Campanella, very interesting story. Um, You know, they talked about him being Jackie Robinson, but the Dodgers felt like Jackie Robinson was better suited to be Jackie Robinson than Roy Campanella or Don Newcomb. And in fact, the minor league affiliate that first got Newcomb and Campanella... Is a pretty spectacular battery, battery mates, picture in kitchen. I don't know why they call it battery, do you? If you do, send me an email, battery. I guess they start the game. The battery starts the car. Anyway, um, these two guys got sent to a different farm team because they thought that the town they got sent to, um, which was on the East Coast, would better uh, receive African-American players than the Three-I League, Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa. So anyway, there's a lot of interesting stories, and of course we all know Campanella's career was cut short by um, his driving home in the snow from his liquor store in the off-season when uh, another driver had on collision paralyzed Rick Campanella, and that was the end of that. Anyway, Wow, can it get any more depressing? I'm gonna take a break and see if I can't come back with something more exciting in the future. So until then, for Spotify, SoundCloud, lots of stuff now. You can just Google my name and and these podcasts come up. Anyway, we'll be back in a few minutes with some other non-Strike related talk. Here we are, back again, and uh, better than ever. Strike's still going on, the talks are going on. Does anybody feel like it's gonna settle? I don't know, I mean, like I said, with the backdrop of uh, Ukraine and uh, Putin wanting to invade, or maybe has invaded, uh, it's just kind of of sad that the ownership and the union uh, can't get a deal done. Um, Fingers crossed, because I'd rather be talking about baseball, I'd rather be watching spring training games. Anyway, Black History Month. But I, I've talked about this a lot. I love the Negro League uh, Museum. Um, I watched Bob Kendrick. Man, oh, man, he's good. Like I said, he's got... Let me give a plug for a couple good podcasts. Number one, Black Aces. I think that's the name of his uh, uh, podcast. Um, I think that was... Um, you know, there is a group of pitchers who have won 20 games in a year, and they are the black aces. So, I think that's Bob's podcast. Another good podcast is uh, Craig Kashan. I think it's called Kashan Cast. Catchy, huh? Craig will be doing double duty. He'll be here uh, Thursday. It's always fun to talk to him. Then we're going to get Watham, Going to try to get Grimsley, and uh, we'll go from there. So we'll we'll do a little bit of entertaining. Um, while we do a little bit of waiting anyway so negro league baseball i continue to learn things and i I encourage you guys if you're if you're in any way interested in really the history of uh the the way the country was segregated and became integrated is kind of paralleled with the formation of the uh, negro leagues and then the breaking of the color barrier by Jackie Robinson, and then we go into the demise of the Negro Leagues as the 50s moved on. And so a lot of this was motivated by my um, constant uh, reminiscing about my 1953 top set of baseball cards, great set of baseball cards. And so spattered throughout the cards, and I didn't count them, but. There might be 10 or 15, maybe 20 uh, guys who played in the Negro Leagues. And now there's, you know, there's Willie Mays, obviously very famous. There's Roy Campanella, obviously very famous. There's Don Newcomb, obviously very famous. There are, you know, it's about time for Ernie Banks and Hank Aaron. All these guys, which I think is interesting, were kind of in the transition years of the negro league museum sort of the years not not when it was really cool when they were just drawing lights out games on sunday night and then did you know this i I, this is cool there's so many cool things about the negro leagues and go go to the museum and and i'm going to try to get bob kendrick back listen to that podcast again he's so good anyway the negro leagues were the first organized baseball uh Affiliation affiliate in the United States to have night baseball, isn't that amazing? You always think of Cincinnati as as being the first night game because that's what we were told. Cincinnati was the uh, first major league team uh, that had lights installed. Well, in the Negro leagues, they'd bring in lights. In in this is something that they were doing in the late '30s, and maybe even before. But they were the first to do it, and um, it just shows how innovative they were. And, and, you know, one of the sad things that always, from, from my perspective, is that it was a booming league. I mean, the attendance was unbelievable. The Negro League uh, All Star game, the Negro League World Series, all those just drew probably more than uh, a lot of Major League Baseball at that time. And it also um, paralleled the war. So many of the Negro League uh, players went to defend the United States in World War II and or Korea. And um, a lot of the big league baseball players too. So there was a, there was a drop off in talent in both of those organizations. But um, I found out every time I pick up a book and want to study on some of these guys, the, not the real famous guys, not the Willie Mays, not the Roy Campanella, although, although Campanella um, had such a great career until he, you know, had a car wreck that, um, you know, was he as good as Josh Gibson? No. Was he as good as Johnny Bench? No. Uh, but he was, boy, he and Barrow were right there. And when you start putting the pieces together, the Brooklyn Dodgers, it's like, how did they lose? You know how did they lose? That Duke snyder Pee Wee Reese, that Jackie Robinson—they had Roy Campanella. They had on and on and on and on and on. These guys were great. They had pitching, they had defense, they had hitting. Yeah, Brooklyn, a lot of and and obviously credited with breaking the color barrier. Barrier. And in, in addition to uh you know Jackie Robinson, they had Don newcomb and they signed uh, numerous other. African American players, and they were right up there with the Cleveland Indians. So I think the Indians in the American League and the Dodgers in the National League are probably the two uh, leading uh, teams signing guys from the uh, from the Negro Leagues, and it you know it was good, it was great, but it turned out to be the beginning of the end for the for the Negro League, and the beginning of the end, I think, for. African-American participation in spectators as to baseball. Um, I'm sure that some can debate that, but I think it's pretty clear that when the Negro League shut down, the black uh, spectator at Major League Baseball was virtually gone. I mean, it was big when they went out to see Satchel Paige and, and who wouldn't want to go see Satchel. But look at some of these guys. I mean, the, the stars were stars in and of themselves. Um, Jackie, Satchel, Buck Leonard, Buck O'Neil, um, Larry Doby, you know, Larry Doby's a guy that gets no, uh, nowhere near the accolades that Jackie Robinson got. And, and Doby was a good ball player, not, not the Jackie Robinson, and he wasn't the first guy. So I started looking at some of these other guys and I'm not gonna go into a, into a lengthy discussion about all these guys, although I should and could, but but um, my research was somewhat limited, you know, by time I've got, I'm a busy guy, I've got stuff to do. I have, you know, in retirement, I've got a, oh, I, I can't even uh, go on to list all the things that, that are significant in in my day. but. Most involve either golf or baseball cards and uh, grandkids. So and not not in that order, no. So you got the campy, you got the Jackie, and you got Doby. You know, you got Willie lurking around there in that you know, time period. You got Don Newcomb, Monty Irvin, that were kind of more famous than this guy. Luke Easter, Luke Easter, man. I mean, we could do a show on any one of these guys. His career was cut short by injuries, but the dude finished like 13th as the most valuable player in the, uh, in the national league one year. And uh, he could rake and he coached and he played in the major leagues and in the minor leagues until he was 48 years old. So he hung around till he was 48 playing in some world. His home run power was unbelievable. He had shoulders as big as all outdoors, according to all the the stories about Luke Easter. And this guy could just flat play. Now, this is an interesting deal. His father graduated from Tuskegee college. But Luke quit in the ninth grade and started playing baseball. And I mean, the guy was inducted into two minor league halls of fame. I mean, that's pretty good. He's in the Rochester Hall of Fame, which isn't too shabby. And then he's in the Buffalo Hall of Fame, Buffalo Bison, still the Buffalo Bisons. That's kind of fascinating. But I mean, Luke Easter, he was something else and um fascinating stories and again i've only touched the surface i'm not purporting to give an in-depth analysis but after baseball luke who was a dedicated devoted teammate loyal to the ownership in every league that he ever showed up and followed the same after he got out of baseball And he was loyal and true blue to his employer. In fact, he was entrusted with taking money to the bank for, you know, uh, so there would be money there on payday. And he was frigging murdered because he wouldn't give up the money. And uh, the robbers came and and they knew uh, they had inside information that he was delivering the money to the bank. And so they uh, ambushed him. And I gave him a chance to turn over the money, didn't do it, they shot him, killed him, dead. Unbelievable. And um, that's it, that's a that's the, dem- the demise of Luke. But he was always thought of as being the, at least the second best first baseman in the Negro Leagues history. The first being Buck Leonard, not Buck O'Neill. Buck Leonard. Anyway, so that that's Luke Easter, another another great player. And this guy, he had a beginning of his career was legendary, Joe Black. I mean, now there's a movie, Meet Joe Black, it's not about Joe Black baseball players, it's about Joe Black, um, Fantasyland. Joe Black, the real Joe Black, uh, had a high school and a college degree, and the dude was a stud again he was instrumental as the years went on after he was done playing, instrumental in helping the Negro League players get qualified for the Major League pension. I mean, and that's still going on today. So, you know, it took a long time and it has got some interesting stories on how he was aided uh, by a couple people. But by and large, he was very involved in getting pensions for those Negro League uh, players and he just was a spectacular guy and so um, you know he, he was he pitched in three World Series games his first year he roomed with Jackie Robinson I mean it's just like the guy was a the guy was a legend and of course Willie Mays we don't need to talk much about him Hank Aaron Ernie Banks all these guys play the Negro League and so Whenever I get a hold of Bob Kendrick, I'd like to talk about those transition guys the guys that started out in the Negro Leagues and ended up in the major leagues, and the guys that ended up in the major leagues that had um, Hall of Fame careers the Ernie Banks of the world, the um, Hank Aarons of the world, the Willie Mazes of the world, and the new member of the Hall of Fame, Minnie Minoso, the Cuban Comet. Yeah. He was on the, the names of these teams are amazing. I think he was on the New York Cubans, although I can be uh, uh, corrected. And so uh, that's all fine and good. It's, it's just a fascinating uh, look into our country's history. Some of it not so good, some of it not what we really want to hear, but yet um, an interesting lesson in how these people all persevered to get into the Major leagues and fulfill the dreams. And some made it, some didn't. Um, and that's kind of the way it is today. The, you know, all this is a backdrop to the drop off of uh, African Americans that are currently in the major leagues, although it's growing a little bit. There is some emphasis with different programs. Um, but it's clear that uh, the percentages of, of uh, African Americans in the major leagues. Can fall off. So, anyway, little history lesson on baseball. Little update on where the uh, negotiations stand. Muddled down. I'd be mean, the first to admit. Boy, did I miss that. Missed read that. How bad do the owners want to get back? I think they're gonna feel like, oh, we did it. We went the extra mile, and these guys just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't go for it. And, you know, there's who's on the negotiating committee that's sitting in on these day-to-day meetings? None other than the $43 million Max Scherzer. I mean, these guys have created this mess. And for the life of me, I don't get it. Um, There there had to be, you know, the old yogiism, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. There had to be a fork in the road that the players missed. There had to be a way for them to make a lot more money by, you know, what do they say? It's easier to catch a fly with honey than with you know what. And uh, man, is it adversarial. I mean, it's just adversarial. And um, players don't have it so bad. Now they think, I guess they think they do have it bad. They think that it's inequitable. They think the owners are really taking advantage of them. And um, that's the bottom line. So you got the arbitration issue, and then you've got the luxury tax issue. And then, you know, those are the two main sticking points right now. They've kind of a, dropped the free agency worries right now, but that'll be the next one down the road. So right now we're talking about increasing arbitration pools. Um, they want an NBA kind of lottery where, you know, the last place team gets 10 balls and the second to last place team gets eight balls and blah, 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 da And uh, the lottery holds true for a certain number of picks. I think Major League Baseball said three. Um, And you have the luxury tax. Of course, the uh, owners want it to be like it was last year or within 5%, and the players want it to be really high, and the players don't want any penalties for going over the luxury tax, because they want the money. Don't blame them. I'm just saying, this is, really a slap in the face to the fans. If it wasn't bad enough to watch a four-hour World Series game and listen to Joe Buck, this is worse. I mean, it's hard to believe that I can think anything's worse than listening to Joe Buck and John Smoltzi for four hours. This this is going to be bad. Now, like I said, I hope I'm wrong. Boy, do I hope I'm wrong. But in the meantime, you never know. I guess we'll find out on Friday or Monday when they part ways. They either hug and kiss and say, we did it or the owners go, man, we caved and they didn't want it and here we go. And uh, then they won't talk for a month and then we'll miss a month and we'll miss another month and we'll miss another. It's the same old song. When I mean, you can go back and look at the last work stop I sent, finally they go, oh man, this is bad. Oh, when are we gonna lose the World Series? Oh, we're gonna lose the All-Star Game. It's the same old deal. And it could have been prevented, should have been prevented. Not only should have been prevented, the one three years from now should be prevented. There should be no work stoppage because the Golden Goose is getting more golden every day for all of them. Yeah, all of them. Where's my cut? Ain't happening. <laughs> I don't get a cut. All I do is get the cut. So, read Goose gossip. He, he dislikes Mighty Manfred more than than I do. He's, Mighty Manfred's been terrible for the game, great for the owners. And and, and and the way it's supposed to be, he's he's their boy, he's their guy, and um, when he makes some money, they're happy. So Goose also thinks, as I do, that given baseball's love for gambling now, that uh, Pete Rose ought to be in the Hall of Fame. And he is very uh, adverse to. He is, if you want to read why you don't think that guys should be allowed in the. He's mad about Ortiz getting in because he tested positive for PEDs. He thinks it's such a bad example for the kids. He doesn't want Clemens, Bonds, Sosa, and McGuire, any of those guys to anywhere get a whiff of the Hall of Fame. And I think he thinks it sends a bad message to the kids. Okay, you know, it might. It might. I don't know. I mean, does anybody like to baseball for role models ever? Ty Cobb, you know, um, they're – there are probably 10 guys in the whole family who used PEDs. Now, I don't know that. I'm just guessing. Um, did Pudge use them? Not Pudge, not number 27 slash 72, but the other Pudge. He's one of the guys that are rumored. But I don't know. I haven't seen any tests. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just saying that uh, baseball endorsed the PEDs, and then all of a sudden didn't. They endorsed the Greenies, and then all of a sudden they didn't. They endorsed this um, spitter and then all of a sudden they didn't. And it's the same like with the with the uh, stealing the signs. They're like a big egg. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, I'm not going to relitigate that. All I'm going to do is say have a great night. And on Thursday, just a couple of days from now, we will be back with the legendary Craig Kishon. And if you're bored, listen to my podcast with Dwayne Stass last time. Great. So that's it. I'm going to stop. And on the lighter side of baseball, we'll be back strong next podcast. And that will be maybe the fourth of the season and the fifth. We'll be rolling, hoping amongst hope, amongst logic that we will have baseball. I hope so. Because nobody wants to listen to me talk. I want to talk about some stuff on the field. Okay. I want to rip on the Cubs again. Man, let's get the boy. I want to rip on the whoever. I don't know, just the Cubs. They disappointed me so much. And while I'm thinking about it, last deal. Nobody could sign a free agent during the course of this strike, lockout, whatever you want to call it. They put up on, on MLB Network, kind of the top starting lineup of what would be the free agents. You know Schwarber in left Castellanos and right Chris Bryant at third, Freddie Freeman slash Rizzo at first, and it's <laughs> are there are a couple of pitchers. I like. Wait a minute, that's the Cubs lineup from last year. All the available free agents are you know were with the Cubs. Why didn't they win? I don't know because Ricketts wouldn't go get a pitcher, trade a Darvish. You know his his starting. His number one guy through 80 miles an hour. Come on. You're not going to do any good doing that. Come on. Let's see. See, I'm getting warmed up for the year. I'm getting ready for spring training, ready for opening day, ready to rip on rickets for not doing anything. And they listed the top five presidents that used to be called general managers. And man, the, the, the guy that uh, they all came from Tampa Bay. You got the Tampa Bay guy, then you got the San Francisco guy, then you got Friedman in LA, and then oh my god, numbers. I think two or three was that. That uh, was St. Louis. 14 winning seasons in a row. How do you criticize that? Well, because he's with that birds on the bat team. I hate him. Hate him. Oh, I don't know who the fifth guy was. So you had three from Tampa Bay. You had the uh, guy from St. Louis and somebody else. I don't know. What I didn't see, Nebraska on there. That's got to be a blow to Dave. That's it, folks. I'm done. Have a great day, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of days with Craig Cushon or Jamie Risky on the lighter side of baseball. Go Cubbies.